All right, welcome everyone to another episode of Behind the Human. I am your host, Mark Champagne, and it's my job to unpack the stories and mental fitness practices of people living at the top of their game personally and professionally. Today, we've got Jerry Colonna, founder and CEO of Reboot.io, the author of Reboot, Leadership and the Art of Growing Up, and he is also certified professional coach. Prior to this work, Jerry was a venture capitalist focused on investing in early stage technology-related startups. He co-founded New York City-based Flatiron Partners with Fred Wilson, which became one of the nation's most successful early stage investment programs. He has used the knowledge gained as an investor, executive, and a board member for more than 100 organizations to help entrepreneurs and others lead with humanity, resilience, and equanimity. I am ecstatic to have you on the show, Jerry. Welcome. Oh, thank you, Mark. And that's very kind of you to say. I have to say, it's been... I mean, I've heard your 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 interview with Tim Ferriss in, in the past. I think that's probably the first time I was tipped off to your work. But I feel like ever since, your name just keeps popping up. And it, on Tim's show, through other guests, is, oh, have you... Have you spoken with Jerry? Or oh yeah, I was working with Jerry on this. And the the, the most recent one I had come across this Wired magazine article, uh, where I'm assuming the author was, was well, he was writing a, a profile on you, and he said, "Do you happen to know Jerry Colonna?" And uh, the founder responds, "That guy saved my life." Mm. It's just, it's unbelievable. It's um, it's a true privilege to have you and. Like I said, it just, it, I feel like the signs keep pointing and you keep showing up. So thanks again for being here. That's all right. That's a sign of good marketing is what's going on. <laughs> fair, fair. <laughs> so, I mean, before we get into, um, you know, why someone would be able to say something like, you know, you saved their life and, and it alter your work. I'd love to know first, you know, who are you? Who, what defines Jerry? Well, I think that uh, there are a lot of attributes that would go into a definition, uh, let's put it that way. Um, uh, you know, I'm from Brooklyn. I care deeply about that. I live in Colorado. I love that. I am in a, uh, I'm a father of three magnificent human beings, Sam, Emma, and Michael. But mostly, I, I am someone who is deeply and profoundly committed to showing up in my life. And uh, I, I do that primarily because it's to live otherwise is just painful for me. Okay. And as a consequence of that, uh, it seems to create some safety for others to show up to their lives. And that makes me very happy. Love it. I love that. That's me. And have you always shown up like you are today? I'm assuming this, I mean, I obviously I've, I've done some of the research. I know the backstory, but how has that, how has that evolution or that, that yeah, evolution of who you are today? Like, where did that all come from? Where, where, what's some of the, what's some of the background story to that? Well, the brief answer to your question is no. Of course. <laughs> um, like, uh, like many people, um, I developed adaptations as a child um, that in some ways 
and, and in response to the difficult childhood I had, I developed the adaptation of kind of pretending to be here when I wasn't hmm. um, and creating mass upon mass upon mass. And at some point, and I'm going to mix my metaphors here, um, the whole house of cards uh, of the selves that I presented uh, uh, began collapsing. Sure. And that was in my um, mid to late 30s. And um, the result was my second profound or about a profound depression. And it was at that point uh, afterwards that, you know, I'm going to make this narrative sound like it was simple and it was just a multi-step process. It was actually incredibly painful, confusing and complex. But the result was that I began to understand that the, the more I hid from my own experience, the more depressed I became. And so wow. I had to have the courage to show up to my own life and to be fully present. And, you know, to take a moment, like even at the start of this call, <coughs> excuse me, I was coming off of another call and I was a little distracted. And it took me about two or three minutes to just sort of land back into my body and to actually be here. Um, You're and human now, right? but I'm here. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, no, I, I don't, I don't, I, I don't have any concerns about. It. I, sure. I, I, I bring attention to it because um, it's something that uh, happens to all of us all the time, and I think what I try to do is just pay attention to when that's happening to me, so that I can bring myself back as quickly as possible. Sure. I can relate. I mean, even just before we hit record or, or jumped on the on the line, um, I did a quick fifteen minute just breathing meditation. Jerry, like, how does someone? I, I'd love to talk a little bit about your past just to set some context because you know we're we're definitely going to get into the the here and now. But I mean, you were coming from uh, a life and uh, a path that, from the outside, obviously you know, would seem like the, the perfect scenario. I mean, you were, in, you were in the investment world doing really well, you know, meeting and, and involved with some of the, the biggest companies now and startups in, in the world. Um, I'm assuming around that time is where you, you had a lot of those masks on, right? I think it was around 9-11 that, that, that big shift for you happened. Is that, is yeah. that correct? Yeah. yeah. So what, yeah, why don't, why don't you share a little bit about how, how you transition to this path that you're on right now. Sure. Uh, and uh, I think the setup on that is important. Sure. Um, sometimes when someone will ask a question like, you know, how did you transition? The impulse is to describe it as if it was conscious and intentional and fair. One day I wake up and I said, you know what, this isn't working. And it wasn't at all like that. It was, I had no choice. Or to put it a different way, uh, I had a choice to either live or die. Yeah. And uh, as I know you know, 
that period of depression led to um, feelings, suicidal ideation, which uh, I had to take very, very seriously. And those in my life who know me had to take very seriously because um, uh, I had attempted suicide when I was a teenager. And uh, as those who study such things understand, those who fail to go through with a suicide attempt are more likely to complete a suicide later in their life than those for whom that first experience, the first ideation is there. And so this was like no fooling. This was a real threat, a real big yeah. issue. But you, and, were on, you were on the subway platform, correct? In New York. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I, I was you were there, you know, I, I was, you know, you referenced 9-11. It was a few months after 9-11 that I left a meeting for the New York City Olympic Bid Committee, which I was co-chair of, um, and staring at the what was then Ground Zero, which was still a pile of rubble mm-hmm. uh, and human remains and firefighters and construction workers and people sifting through the rubble for remains and was overwhelmed and uh, wanted to leap in front of a subway, pulled myself back and got outside and called my therapist. And thankfully I did not give into mm-hmm. that impulse. And I, went forward with the rest of my life. And so you referenced the man I am today. The man I am today was directly a result of the decision I made that moment to live. What do you think gave you those microseconds to make that decision? You mean, uh, I'm, to I'm call not sure. Your therapist. Cause it, um, it, you know, that's a, that's an important, it, that's a, that's a micro or, or just, very few seconds that I feel even in, you know, as we transition into some of the work that you're doing now, I mean, you're giving people a lot of pause to, to think and, and whatnot. And I mean, arguably, these are these were probably some of the most important seconds you, you ever had. I, I think it's it, 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 my children's faces flash in front of my eyes. Hmm. And um, you know, when I was a teenager, um, I, of course, had family members, but the pain was so intense that I could not think about the pain that I would cause others. Later, as a father, the programming that is in place for me, in which um, my children's well-being and happiness take precedent over nearly anything, including my own well-being, sure. is so strong that I think the instinct uh, that caused me to pull back from that um, was really prompted by, you know, in effect, my mind saving me and, and saying, don't forget about these munchkins. Mm-hmm. Um, that and the grace and good fortune I've had a therapist that I'd worked with for a number of years who through repeated work together came to give me the sense that rather than acting out the feelings, I could 
call her and talk about the feelings. And P.S., that's a huge difference for us is to know that one can talk about the feelings without actually having to act out feelings. Um, so it was a combination of things that I think created that, that gap uh, through which perhaps my life slipped into a better space. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you. I mean, I appreciate it, you going back there and, you know, my, my intent is not to open up uh, pain from the past, sure. but uh, you know, I do, I think the backstory is obviously very important to the, the work mm -hmm. you're doing now and the path that you're on and, you know, the, the book that you wrote and, and all of the work. Cause you, you know, essentially, well, look at the, like that opening wired a magazine example. Um, I'm sure that's not the the only person that's made that comment in in the past. So, uh, I think many think many people are probably thankful um, that you made the decision you did. So, I appreciate it. Thank you. So, that. so then, Jerry, that that led you down a path uh, of I'll, I'll use some of your word, words on this a radical self inquiry. I, I would imagine. Mm -hmm. um, how did how did that show up for you, or, or what did that look like? Well, having that experience uh, in that in those moments, and then the subsequent conversations with my therapist led directly to me really rethinking the way I was going to be working. At the by that time, I was a partner at J.P. Morgan Partners, which was uh, the private equity investing arm of J.P. Morgan Bank, and. Um, I wasn't sure what I needed to do next, but I knew I couldn't continue what I was doing. Okay. And so I took, uh, I took some time. I did a retreat and then I did another retreat and then another retreat. <laughs> and that during that subsequent few months, this was from February to, to like November, December of that year, I made the decision to not renew my contract with uh, JP Morgan. And that come January 1st, I would be unemployed. And it was the first time since I was about 15 years old that I didn't have a job. Yeah, no and kidding. I was 39 years old. So it was a long time. And uh, I wasn't sure what I was going to do next, but I knew that I needed to re-examine everything. And, you know, the phrase radical self-inquiry, I, I coined to describe the process of stripping away a lot of the masks that I referenced before and asking myself uh, some of the most important questions I could ask, such as, why was I living the way I was living? What mm -hmm. was my motivation? What was I running away from? What was I running towards? Why was I always in constant motion? Um, How are you reflecting on those, Jerry? Just practically speaking, was this, I mean, you, you had quit the job or you didn't renew the contract. These are, mm -hmm. as you said, big questions. Was, was this just a period where, you know, you were journaling on these or were there other methods that you were, you know, prioritizing time to think about these, these questions? Uh, I think that over the course of, say, 2003, 
into 2004, 2005, I, uh, I'd always been journaling. I've journaled since I was about 13, pretty much on a daily basis. Hmm. Um, but, uh, I added to that and I was of course in therapy, but I went from once or twice a week to four times a week. Um, I added uh, additional modalities such as dance therapy. I did art therapy related retreats. I did a stone carving workshop, for example, with a Jungian psychoanalyst. Oh, wow. I read constantly. I went very quiet. I disconnected. Friends of mine call it my hermitage period in which I, uh, <laughs> I kind of disappeared from the limelight and the stage. Um, uh, I was still engaged. I still did some some consulting work. This was before I'd been certified as a coach. But um, for the most part, I did a lot of hikes. I did a lot of trips. I went to places like Greenland and Chile and you know, the Grand Canyon. And I just, I disappeared for weeks at a time Wow! Uh, to go deep within myself. It sounds like you were doing a, you know, a, a full on spring cleaning of your mind in, the, in, the, in that period. Yeah. That's a good, that's a good metaphor. Yeah. Yeah. Taking everything out, laying it around uh, <laughs> in, in, in the mode of Marie, condo getting rid of things that which does not bring me joy yeah sure well it's i think you probably know uh this individual i'd imagine but chip conley um he's he's been on the show before and i I remember he left the line uh that that always resonates with me or or comes back to um, my thoughts and he said you know we we spend the first half of our life accumulating you know accumulating experience Mm -hmm. and titles and things and the second half of our life editing. And mm. it, it, you know, it, it strikes me as I feel like there's, there's a whole generation that is doing a lot of that editing earlier and earlier, which is, which is, I think, fantastic. I mean, there's probably a balance there of, of, a you know, wisdom and experience that you have to accumulate, but it sounds like that period as well was, was a, a massive edit. And, and I wonder how, how are you working with others? And, and maybe, maybe the answer is like, this isn't the objective, but are you trying to help people get into a little bit more of that editing phase and that kind of self-awareness or reflection to uh, see what's happening, right? In, in their life at that moment. Well, I'll answer your question this way. First, by building upon what Chip said. And I think the most important thing that we do, the most important, significant thing that we accumulate in that first half of our life are belief systems. Oh yeah. And I think that in the second half of life, the call to adulthood demands that we re-examine those belief systems and that we start to actively choose who we want to be. See, in our 20s, we spend a a ton of time asking the question, stimulated by the first, the assertion, now what, 
right? I'm mm-hmm. out of the house. I'm finally free. I get to make my own decisions. And then we ask the question, well, who the hell am I? Yeah. <laughs> right. And it's only until 10, 15, 20 years later that you're kind of in the position to, to alter the question meaningfully, but slightly by saying, who do I want to be? Because the thing about the first question, which is, you know, somewhat a parody or been paradized by people who make fun of people who are in existential questioning. The problem with the question isn't the parody aspect of it. The problem with the question is that it implies that I have no control. Sure. That I have no agency. And the most important thing to understand is that when you're looking at those belief systems, when you're taking them out of the closet, when you're sorting through which fit and which no longer fit, you get to choose. And that realization, I think, is the beginning of adulthood, true adulthood, second adulthood, not chronological adulthood, but the ability to define who you are. So to come back to your question Mm. for a moment, is this what I do? What I do, I do this mostly in the context within leadership, but not exclusively within the context of leadership. And so if you want two questions that I will, you know, nudge my clients to do, the first question is, what kind of leader would I like to be? And that sets them back because they oftentimes don't realize that there are multiple kinds of leaders and that that they get to choose. And then I'll follow that up with, well, what kind of adult do you want to be? And that really shocks them. (laughs) No kid, shocks me just hearing it. (laughs) Right, because you don't realize, wait, you get to choose. So, for example, I choose to be an adult who believes in the best of people. Hmm. I choose to be an optimist. I also choose not to be a Pollyanna. So I see the turmoil in the world for the, the expression of pain and suffering that it is. And I choose to believe that at the end of that, this particular period will be better. Beautiful. Hey, just wanted to thank you for being here. And if you're enjoying the show, drop us some lovely stars wherever you're listening. They really make a huge difference. Also, after requests from you, I've put together some mental fitness training packages in collaboration with Thrive Medicine. I'll work directly with you to help implement and personalize practices and routines to ensure your mind is thriving. Shoot me a message directly or check out the link in the show notes. Thank you as always and back to the show. I know you're a fan of poetry, but you... uh... You're speaking in poetic language for me, at least a guy that is fascinated and collects questions. So thank you. <laughs> thank you. Um, how, Jerry, how does this fit in to, th- this is a line I read out of, out of your book, Reboot, that just kind of blew me back on my chair in, in reflection. And it reads like this, the, the toughest aspect of being a leader, hell of being an adult, is meeting the world as it is and not as we wish it to be. Mm. Th- to me, that... I, I just, like I said, I'm almost speechless now just reading it back because 
I feel there are people that can go their entire lifetime and and never come to that realization. There are some mm -hmm. that come to that realization through hitting massive, you know, roadblocks in life or burnouts or, you know, like in in your case, you know, su suicidal thoughts. And then there are others that I feel are always trying to battle with this. And I don't know what the answer is, but I feel like th this this obviously fits into those two questions that you pose mm -hmm. to to leaders. I'm curious mm -hmm. how you navigate uh, a line like that and uh, those questions in your work. Well, the re the reason I think that that is so, it, one way to unpack that and understand that is um, something His Holiness Dalai Lama teaches. Um, and I believe I got this from his book, The Art of Being Happy, or The Art of Happiness. Okay. And uh, what he says is that uh, unhappiness stems from, from uh, not accepting the world as it is. Now, if you just, just pause and just take that in. That is a profound teaching. <laughs> of course. And, um, you know, you, you can expand it out. You can say the frustrations that I feel, the anger that I feel, the rage that I feel. It's like, duh, sir. you know, why, why does everybody drive the way they do? Why is the world, why is my sky filled with smoke right now? Right? Which is a true fact. Mm -hmm. Okay. Okay. So then we start to examine that and a funny, curious thing starts to happen when I work with somebody on that question and they'll say, well, what, what should I do with hope, Jerry? Right? Aren't we mm -hmm. supposed to hope for a better world? And that's a really curious spot now. Because the first thing that we have to do is accept the world as it is. So for example, one aspect of the world as it is that's really hard to accept is impermanence. Yeah, of course. Everything that you love will end. Everything. If you want to be relieved of the pain that you might be feeling right now, everything that you hate will end as well. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> All things are impermanent. All things change. All things fall apart all the time. Yeah. Including our thoughts. That is everything. the world as it is. Everything. Yeah. Your thoughts, your feelings, your safety, your comfort, your discomfort, all things. Okay. If I can accept that, and not swim against the things fall apart all the time, then I can ask myself, well, given that, what would I like to have happen? And I can work towards that. Knowing full well that even if I accomplish it, it may fall apart again. And that's okay. Yeah. I'm going to draw a little bit on Buddhism because this is a really important point here. Yeah, please do. In the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, 
Um, monks will spend days, weeks, maybe even months painting what are called sand paintings or sand mandalas. Yeah. Okay. Now, I, what I want you to envision is that three, four, five, six, a dozen monks laying on the ground with a straw, blowing colored grains of sand and creating magnificent paintings. And when the painting is done, they sweep the whole thing away. Yeah. Wow. Now, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what an extraordinary image, right? Because what the purpose of that is, is the joy in the creation and the letting go of the attachment to that mandala, that painting that depicts the world having to be precisely preserved forever. You know, when my dad was a kid, when I was a kid, my dad was fixated on jigsaw puzzles. And he would spend hours doing these multi-thousand piece jigsaw puzzles. And at the end, he would often do rubber cement on the back to hold it together forever. Well, sure. What do you really do, right? What you normally do is you, you're done, and then you break it apart and you put it away in the box and you put it away. There's so many parallels coming up as you're saying all this. I mean, obviously you've, you've come across this, but just in, in the startup world or running a company, right? Like to these hmm. big milestones of, you know, rounds of funding or exits or this or that when, you know, you hear it all the time. And, and, and part of my own transformation and journey I've been on, uh, I, the greatest gift has been coming to this realization, but just the, the real magic is actually in the journey. I know everyone says that, <laughs> but <laughs> it really is, you know, and, and it, I, I don't know how, and I'm curious to, to, to what you think of this. I don't know how to get someone to that place without going through some of that pain you know is that is that possible is it is it possible i guess to get to this realization that you know the 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 um the world we live in being okay with the the current situation and the current world and everything that's around us is it possible to get to that without some massive dramatic event it's a great question um I think that uh, when I was describing the sand painting, the sand mandala to you, and then I described the sweeping away, what did you feel? I felt shock at, yep. you know, at first, but I had an image of just this meticulous, like this, I, I, the image or the feeling, I guess, that, that came from that image was just this feeling of focus and, and dedication mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. you know, almost being just all in right. on that moment. So, 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 so the all in, the observations about that, that came after. And maybe it was fueled a little bit of, about my description of the monks on their knees, on the ground, blowing sand, grains of sand, right? The shock was what I wanted you to have. I sure. wanted you to have that feeling. And the reason I wanted you to have that feeling was so that you could viscerally experience the loss. 
Hmm. And because you viscerally experience the loss, even vicariously, through my story that about someone else, you were then able to get the realization. Powerful. Right? So, you, because you asked the question about the source of our suffering, right? The hard part is accepting the world as it is. And I began talking about the world. One aspect of the world as it is, is the notion of impermanence, which to me is the greatest source of suffering. And when you, and, and the only way I could impart that lesson was to shock you. Yeah. Okay. I see. Because you, and that emotional shock, and it wasn't an electric shock, right? It was an emotional shock. And that shark had a charge to it, a biochemical charge. And if I did my job right, you will never forget that feeling. So true. Well, this is why they call you Jerry. <laughs> no, they call me to make him cry. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I've heard that too. Uh, I mean, but, but, yeah, but that's the point. That's what I want you to really internalize here, right? The answer to your question, I could have just given you the answer to the question. I could have, again, yeah. just said, well, of course you have to have things fall apart and you have to have that. But I wanted you to feel the answer to your own question. Sure. Because sure. then it's your answer, not my answer. Yeah. It's powerful stuff. I mean, I, there's just so many ways we could, we could speak for, for three hours. I imagine on this, I, I, but I, I definitely want to get some of the practices that are in your life right now that, you know, continue to open up clarity, or I guess to use my own analogy, keep kind of, you know, doing a cycle of spring cleaning and, and whatnot for your mind. I know you're, you're big into journaling, uh, or at least you were in the, some of the, the shows that I was uh, doing the research for. Um, but I'd love to know, you know, what's, what makes up some of the non-negotiables in your mental fitness rituals? Um, again, I, you know, every question you ask, I qualify. So <laughs> I don't know that there's anything that's non-negotiable for me, but I will tell you that um, I journal and meditate, I would say 99 percent of the time um, okay. I'm looking at one of our three horses and he had colic surgery a few weeks ago and I didn't journal and meditate that day because there was an emergency colic surgery so I can't say every day yeah fair <laughs> fair but, but the things you turn um, to on a regular basis <laughs> yeah that's right. yeah um, I I continue to go to therapy twice a week I have a group therapy group that I am a participant in I have every evening, my life partner, Ali and I uh, have real meaningful conversation that begins mm. with, how are you doing? How's your day? How's your heart? Okay. Um, those sorts of questions. Um, I try to stay physically fit and, uh, and then, you know, but honestly, Mark, I'm the luckiest man in the world because I get to have conversations like this all day long and I get paid. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's extraordinary to me. So 
um, you know, the easiest answer to your question is I don't feel the need to jealously guard my ability to do this with standardized practices because this is my life. Fair, fair. Yeah, no, and the, well, and thank you for, for providing that detail. I mean, the, like we were chatting before we hit record, I mean, the whole idea for me is, is not to, not to be prescriptive or try to say, this is the routine that, you know, you should really do. It's more so if someone resonates with the journaling, which I, I'd love to know a little bit more on what that looks like for you or the meditation or, you know, the, the talks with Ali, you know, if they can pick, if someone can pick one of those things or one of the many prompts that you've already left in this conversation, then I feel I've, I've done my duty on helping people stimulate some reflection. Um, so that's, so that's why I asked the, the questions around practices. It, it doesn't turn into the top 10 tips uh, that will save your life on the mental fitness uh, article mm -hmm. type thing. <laughs> but going well, back how about this, go ahead. You know, you, your, your yeah. question is prompting me to realize something about my journaling practice, which I don't think I've ever shared with anybody before. I've shared some of the attributes of it, but not this. Okay. Um, journaling is a really popular thing right now. Um, more and more people are turning to it. It's becoming more and more acceptable. I think that for some people, journaling, like meditation, like mindfulness generally, uh, is approached with the notion of getting better. It's approached with the notion of an outcome. So when I've watched people struggle with journaling, it's generally because they, A, don't know, quote, what to write about, or B, yeah. need to follow a format of, well, it's a gratitude journal, and I'm going to write five things that I feel, you know, grateful for. I like journaling prompts. We offer a lot of prompts, both in my work and in my book. But I think the thing that I would ask people to consider is to just hold the whole thing loosely. And what I mean by that is, you know, I've been journaling since I was 13. I mentioned that. Very, very, very rarely have I ever gone back and read an old entry. <laughs> in fact, I can't even read half of the things I write because my handwriting is so bad. Yeah, I hear you. I have the same issue on that one. <laughs> so, so, so why do I journal then? I journal for the moment to moment experience of being fully present with whatever it is that I'm feeling. And so you asked, you know, what, what, what is it about the conversation with Allie? What is it about, you know, uh, meditation, the co common denominator in all of those things is I try my damnedest to stay fully present. Whether it's whether I'm meditating, whether I'm riding my bike, whether I'm talking to Allie, whether I'm journaling, I don't, for the most part, slip into the Oh, look at me. I'm meditating. I'm such a good meditator. <laughs> oh, yeah, for sure. 
but I feel like those practices also, I mean, this is the thing that I love about all of, all of this work and, and all of these practices. It, it's just a, it's a continuous feedback loop that just keeps giving around and around. Cause right. I mean, this, right. this, this awareness or this presence that, that you're speaking of, obviously a lot of these practices are, are probably helping you know, you develop that, that sense of, of presence and being able to, to focus in on that conversation. And it just keeps looping around, which is, it's one of the best loops that we could have, I, I would say. Right. Right. And I, and I resonate with the journal because I mean, on my side, uh, like the backstory, I was telling you earlier that the podcast was linked to a journaling app. And th- that was primarily because I was always journaling digitally because for the very reason you just mentioned i i couldn't read my my writing <laughs> and so i figured i'm like oh i, I i'll do it digitally um often didn't really look at it but i you know i still have them um but the biggest thing that has shifted for me over the last year or so having gone through starting uh keo and the company and us reaching a ton of people but then ultimately shutting it down mm-hmm. was the and it's the only reason I'm speaking with you. So I'm so grateful for that journey. I, I really do believe um, mm. in, in that, that whole process. But the biggest gift has been this, is that on a daily basis, when I feel like I could use the practice of reflection or journaling, it doesn't matter whether it's pen to paper, in a notebook, during a walk, it's, it's the act of the reflection mm-hmm. that you know, I'm longing for versus, oh, I, you know, I, I need to get in an app to keep it, or I want to line up all my print journals on a shelf so that they're there. And mm-hmm. I feel like that's taken, well, it maybe came from an, uh, you know, active kind of desperation is going through a tough time processing the, the closure of a, of a business, but man, has it ever felt like a mental weight lifted off and, mm-hmm. and this confidence of, of the toolkit that that is always there right Mm -hmm. powerful stuff i the last thing i'd love to get your opinion on because i've heard you talk about this quite a bit is just the idea and and you term it the the crow and the importance Mm -hmm. of you know others may say like your monkey mind or that internal voice you know we all have it that that's that's chattering in the in the background and People talk about it, but you're one of the few that I've, I've heard talk about it in the way of welcome that conversation. Don't try to just shut it mm-hmm. down. There's important value there. Would you mind just describing or explain that a little bit? Sure. Um, so to, to, to describe it, um, I, the, the, the metaphor of the crow came to me from a, a poetry teacher, Marie Ponset. Uh, who unfortunately passed away last year. Um, and when I was in college, uh, she used to uh, tell us to uh, shoot the damn crow, meaning that voice in our head that would just tell us how awful our writing was. And I always loved, I loved Murray, and I got an enormous amount of, uh, out of being with her. Um, And years later, I started thinking about that crow, and I began to understand um, and call it the inner critic, call it, you know, 
it's all related to imposter syndrome, I began to understand that the reason that that voice exists with inside of us is actually to, to, to keep us safe, which yeah. is kind of mind boggling. If you think about it, yeah. it's, it's, it's designed to keep us from feeling humiliation or shame or the disappointment of those who believe in us or any of these sources of just really, really difficult emotions. And so, um, you know, listening to a lot of teachers over the years, including, say, the poet Rumi in his poem, The Guest House, in which he likens this experience of being human as a guest house, where each feeling, each experience is a guest and that your job is to welcome them all. I began to understand that if I could welcome that experience of anxiety about not being good enough and understand that it comes from a place that's designed to keep me safe from the feelings of shame and humiliation that marked my childhood, that by thanking it and then importantly telling it to stand down, that I don't need protection anymore. And here's the magic line. I'm an adult. I'm not a child anymore. Right? Wow. Yeah. That's the issue, is for you to be able to say to the crow, it sits on your shoulder, thanks, buddy, but I got this. I'm okay. We're safe. Yeah. I love it. I mean, I feel like the through line or the theme of the whole conversation really keeps keeps bringing up just this concept of just our relationship with with ourselves and all of the intricacies that 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 come with that, including the crow and um, you know making decisions and 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 being okay with where where we're at in the world and what's happening, and just you know in a way, the way you, you even speak, uh, in the, you know, in a slow calming way, Mm. I I can see that. I can see that reflected back in, you know, ways or practices or ways, ways to view all of these types of situations, just, uh, slow down. It's okay. We don't need to go into a full on panic of, of what's happening. Let's, let's be with it. Let's not exclude it. Let's not try to get, like you said, shoot the crow immediately. Um, and let's work through this, right? Uh, it's powerful. Last question for you, sir, because I want to respect your time. What makes you smile each day? Allie, watching our horses. Um, right now I'm sitting in my office and I've got a view of pastures one, two, and three. Hmm. And starting around six o'clock in the morning, she lets horses out and uh yeah that makes me smile i want to thank you yeah yeah of course (laughs) (laughs) but that's what comes to mind right now and that's 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 the yeah and that's the the point of the question as well i want to thank you personally jerry on on this side for me to you but also everyone listening and and everyone in this world that you've touched their lives or the people that you will continue to touch their lives. A huge thanks for making the decision you made that one day on the subway platform, because you're, you're making such a huge 
difference and impact in this world. So thank you. Well, thank you for saying so. It means a lot to me. 